Hey everybody, welcome to episode 69 of Literary Disco. Yes, 69! I knew it! I, you, I wouldn't even be able to get through the second word before you... Alright, today we'll do a bookshelf revisit about the best book we ever received as a gift in honor of the holidays. And then we'll discuss the autobiography released earlier this year by Neil Patrick Harris, which is structured as a choose-your-own-adventure book. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me are essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel and novelist and critic Todd Goldberg. Good afternoon. Happy day to both of you. So glad to see you guys this festive holiday season. So festive. You can't, yeah, you can't come back all suave <laughs> yeah. and calm and in control Here's... after you, your like frat boy outburst Here's what of 69. When does 69 stop being like the thing you were like, eh, 69? Or is it for the rest of the world, like you don't? It's not even in your head. I don't know. I mean, Neil Patrick Harris made a 69 joke yeah, in this in book, book, I noticed. Yeah. Uh, and it felt really dated and, and kind of dorky. Oh, um, well, that's awkward now. That makes me feel Dated Well, dorky. it's like 420, right? It's like one of those things that right. is yeah. really, really funny when you discover it's a sort of code for something as a teenager. And then you got to let it go, right? I mean... Yeah, but what about like... So, for instance, when I meet someone with a weird name that invariably ends up sounding like you know shithead or something like that in my mind i think oh my god that guy's name well i guess Ryder, you have these problems yeah are, are you <laughs> oh talking about god. when you first met me what? <laughs> probably i think oh my god that's a funny name and then i just think oh that's stupid i mean it's just his his or her name is there a point like are are 90 year olds at the old folks home being like ah oh, 69 yes <laughs> definitely yes <laughs> Without I don't question. think so. Really? Yeah, I think so. I think I think we need to do a poll. I think we gotta <laughs> we gotta go out to the old folks and start asking them. How do you feel about the number sixty nine? Anything come to mind? <laughs> We'd have to change the name of the show from literary disco to literary seventy eight RPM. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty clever. <laughs> See, that's way more clever than Thanks, 69. writer. Yeah, <laughs> All right. So what are we talking about? Well, I think the idea behind this suggestion, which was Todd's suggestion, was that um, it is the holiday season still. And we're coming off of a Thanksgiving episode slash Christmas episode. But uh, we can still talk about our favorite gifts that were given and also to us. i was thinking just just sort of specifically that this neil patrick harris book is actually sort of a gift book like it's one of those things you'll open up underneath the christmas tree or the hanukkah bush or the that's true actually the, a lot of the people menorah. are be getting this yeah and you're like oh my god how funny neil patrick harris you wrote a choose your own adventure i speak in a very weird intonation like and a then... like a lot of like skinny sexually ambiguous 19 year olds are going to be getting right. this from their friends like Right. You yeah, like musicals. You should yeah. read this book. Right. Yeah, it, it's a gift book. <laughs> it's literally a curiosity. It's a curiosity that you'd buy. And like, oh, well, it's like a $26 curiosity. Like, oh, what? Joe will like that. Susie will like that. I'm going to wrap it up and, and then, bring it to the Christmas party. So, wait, I want to tell you guys something, too. So, I went to Barnes & Noble, and I was intending to read it there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you were just going to sit yeah. down in one of their comfy chairs and finish the whole book? Correct. 
But Jesus Christ, this, I, we need to get paid, people. Uh, can we get a sponsor on Literary Disco? This is ridiculous. Oh god, the amount of money well, I'm spending on books for this podcast alone, <laughs> let alone microphones well, and producing. Fees. I knew it was going to be checked out of the library, um, and I knew there would be a million of them at Barnes and Noble for this reason. But you guys, I actually ended up buying it because. I don't know if a lot of Barnes & Nobles are doing this, but the Barnes & Noble in West Hartford, Connecticut, um, got some kind of shipment of signed books from very famous people. So mine is actually yes, signed by Neil Patrick Harris. Yes, that's correct. It's a big thing Barnes & Noble is doing. They got, they got signed books from like 500 authors. And it's I working. went to them. Yeah, and I went to them and I was like, do you have Neil Patrick Harris like in a warehouse somewhere signing thousands of these? Because they had a bunch. It wasn't like two. They had... Of the huge pile of them, and it's a genuine signature. So. It's not like a yeah. Oh, it definitely <clears throat> is. Yeah. Yeah, my my brother yeah. and uh, and Jan Ivanovich, I think, have his new book is out, and they've got eight million signed copies of Barnes and Noble right now. Too. Do they make them sign generic names like Tom? Like yeah. Bill? No, they just so it's like, like the they just it's like those they... license plate keychains. <laughs> no, it's know? like it's like crossover of the Coke promotion and the uh, Barnes. Oh Noble right, promotion. the Coke friend uh. to your mom. <laughs> <laughs> Will you marry me, Neil Patrick Harris? When my brother was doing it, they did it um, well before the actual physical book was out, and he had to sign. So they 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 do like you know ten thousand signed books, and they sell them in Barnes and Noble and Costco, my, and Target for my brother's new books. And he'd spend like five days signing his name on blank sheets of paper, which they then you know put into the front of the book. Wow! Um, and it took him days, just days of signing his name. And I was like, I could come over and do your name. I mean, it's the same number of letters as my name. I could, I think I could probably make it look just as in, illegible. So, yeah, yeah there's, there was just a big article somewhere. I think maybe the Wall Street Journal or something about how Barnes & Noble had asked um, all these different authors to sign books to try and get people into the store, basically, at the holiday season to buy books and, and, and make them more gift-worthy. That's smart. That worked. Yeah. Like I do like that that Julia was going to. I, I like that Julia was trying to shiesty up the system, though. <laughs> hey, once I thought of it, I was like, I'm a fucking genius. I was going to get a Starbucks and sit there, and then. But what really happens when I go to Barnes and Noble is I, I, this is a weird confession. I end up like reading their like self help or business books because they're just everywhere, and I'm not going to buy those either. So I'll pick those up and I'll just be like, investing. Let's think about it, and I'll hang out there for a while. <laughs> and then put it back and realize this is why I don't invest in anything. I tell you what, that Bill O'Reilly, not a bad writer when it comes right down to it, knows a lot about oh. history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not what I'm doing. <laughs> so, but what, yeah, what was your it. favorite? It uh, what was your favorite gift book that you received? For and it can be Christmas, your birthday, it can be Easter. Do you do you people who believe in Jesus get Easter books? I don't know. Mm. Who believes in Jesus? In this? Are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? I was an atheist from the moment I was born. Um, but we did celebrate Christmas growing up. So we had a Christmas tree and gave each other gifts. Right. My, my parents actually did go through a phase where they said we were celebrating winter solstice, oh, not Christmas. Because they hated. Yeah. Uh, but no, we just 
succumb to Christmas. No, I, the two get the, I, I have two stories to tell. One is a real gift story, and the other one is I. It just occurred to me, and I want to tell it. So the the real gift story is I was given for my birthday um, on the set of Boy Meets World. Uh, my studio teacher, who was like a huge influence on my life, we had two studio teachers, um, one of whom is still teaching the kids for Girl Meets World, which is such oh, a bizarre weird. experience. Yeah, and just a great guy, um, and obviously a huge influence on my life. Um, wrote wrote my college applications, and you know taught me every subject growing up. So these two guys, and and one of them, um, this guy named David Combs, really introduced me to literature at the age of thirteen, and would we just read me poems, and we would constantly be reading poems, reading plays. We actually went to London and France together, and. I went and saw all these plays in France and London. It was like, you know, he was, it was like the, one of those great educational mentor opportunities I had as a kid. And when I was about 15 or 16, there was a bookstore in LA that, um, Todd, you'll remember called Dutton's books. Oh yeah. I love Dutton's, which is now the greatest. Yeah. It's a, it was the greatest bookstore and Dutton himself was always Mm -hmm. there. And he was like this old intellectual, great guy who, would just love it if you loved books he would just love to talk to you about it and so i went in there as this teenager and of course he sort of latched on to me and um my teacher who was a frequent visitor of dutton's found out that dutton had an 88 book collection that was um a it was from the 19th century i think 1830s and it was this beautiful bound 88 book collection of the great english poets up until that point at least Mm. um and so each poet got their own book and uh, with an introduction to their work or with an introduction of like their life and then uh, the collected best of their works and these slim little beautiful, you know, the way that they used to make books back then. And so David Combs, my teacher, decided because Dutton was like, I can't sell this set, you know, as a whole set. Nobody wants to buy it. And so David said, you know what? I know a person who will probably buy the whole set because he loves poetry so much. And I'm just going to buy one and, and, and see if he wants to come back and buy the whole set. So what David gave me was one, the one edition of one of these books. And I opened it up and he was like, there's 87 more of these if you want to invest in a life of starting a library. And I had never thought of owning books and having a library until that moment. And it totally worked. I immediately like went to Dutton's bought the rest of the books, you know, um, and they weren't like ridiculous. They're not like rare, crazy books. It was, you know, it was, it was more money than, um, you know, your average 88 books. I think it was like a thousand dollars or something, but it was a huge investment on my part at that age. And I started collecting first editions after that, which I think I've talked about on the show before and eventually stopped collecting first editions. But for me, that was the beginning of book collecting, like of, of, owning books that you love and having a library and having books that you like to pull down from the shelf and flip through. And of course I never made it through all 88 of these poets. I mean, you know, 80 of them are probably minor poets that have been forgotten by history, but it's just still one of my favorite things to have. I still have all these books on a bookshelf in my house and they're lined up and they're beautiful. And like, you know, I can't wait to share them with my kid. Like the idea of just, having a library was something that 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 he gave me basically mm-hmm. that day um so that was that's the 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 traditional gift book story um the other one which i it occurred to me partly because of this neil patrick harris autobiography that we just read which is super star fuckery <laughs> in, in good ways but 
But I, I this is just a funny thing that happened to me. It was, I was, you know, when I was 11, I was going through my Stephen King phase. So I was reading The Stand, like the unedited Stand, you know, 900 pages. And I was visiting a movie that my brother was shooting. My brother was also a child actor, for those of you who don't know it. And he was in a movie with Tommy Lee Jones when I was 11 and he was 12. So I visited him on set for, you know, a week at a time or whatever. It would be in North Carolina while they were filming this movie. So I was hanging out on set and um, I was... Uh, reading the stand and tommy lee jones leans over and he's like oh what are you what are you what's that what are you reading and i try and explain the stand to tommy lee jones does you know i'm terrified of this actor this older actor and whatnot and then he's like you know what's a really good book and he starts describing this book to me and i'm like oh my god this fucking older dude actor dude is trying to sell me a kid's book he's like it's this book about an island of dinosaurs <laughs> and these people go to this island and they found a way to bring dinosaurs back and i'm here with the stand and i like walked away from this experience being like what the f this idiot thinks i want to read kitty books about dinosaurs and i like didn't he see that i was reading stephen king and i was just so like over tommy lee jones and his stupid suggestion until like, you know, three months later when Jurassic Park is, you know, of course, the book that everybody's reading and I read it and realize it's, you know, one of the greatest, most life changing books for me at that time in my life. And and then the movie came out, what, two or three years later and it yeah. was, you know, what it what it was. But yeah. So he, Tommy Lee Jones gave me the gift of Jurassic Park. So I was ahead <laughs> of the game because I did end up, you know, finding it and reading it before the movie, before everybody else. And, you know. I felt very cool. So Tommy Lee Jones gave me the gift of Jurassic Park, and which led to a Michael Crichton obsession. I ended up reading all of Michael Crichton's books after that. Wow. Didn't um, didn't Shiloh, though, also once give you Pillars of the Earth for Christmas? Yes. <laughs> which, We're not counting that. No, he didn't give it to me. He gave it to my wife, Alex, and she had to pretend to read it and then pretend to just, oh, I don't know what happened to my copy because it was so bad. <laughs> Yeah, listeners, if you have not listened to that episode, this is a great time to give yourself the Christmas gift of going back and hearing Ryder, actually all three of us, lose our mind. <laughs> I, I still didn't, haven't had to read it. I just had to watch the god-awful miniseries. Oh, I forgot about I that. I was saved. Oh, boo-hoo. Yeah. Oh, boo-hoo, eight hours. <laughs> I... I still remember it. it. Actually, it was on Stars recently as I was clicking through the channels. So I was like, oh, God. Pillars of the Earth. Just kept going. Well, that's a good story. Tommy oh, Lee yeah, Jones great. and 87 volumes of poetry. Yeah. Um, my gift book. Um, so my lovely wife, Wendy, and I, we started dating a long time ago. So we started dating in 1994. Um, right before the holidays, as it happens. And normally, as a young man, my thing was not to be dating anyone around the holidays because I didn't want to buy him a gift. Oh, wow. Class um, act. Yeah, I was, I was a pretty classy guy. I'm not going to lie. I, I mean, was, you were a saver. I was a charming, charming young man. Um, but we were dating, and you know, she was aware of the fact that I was into books and literature. And she bought me... Um, for, and I, I got her, I got her a shitty gift. Like I got her like, um, I don't know, like a scarf or something. I, I don't even remember whatever. I have a rich history of buying my wife 
horrible fucking gifts. One year I bought her a spatula mm, and wrapped wow. it, and it was wrapped in the shape of a spatula. Mm-hmm. And she was like, what the fuck is this? Why did you buy me a spatula? And I, I didn't I didn't really have a reason why. I don't know why I bought her that. At any rate, she was aware that I was really into books. And uh, I was in this period of time where I was reading a lot of Edgar Allan Poe and a lot of Shakespeare. And um, she bought me the Yale Shakespeare, which is this book that's like two feet tall and two feet long and weighs about 70 pounds. Is and, that why the Yale Shakespeare figures so prominently in Fake Liar Cheat? Yeah, it's in there. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. That's yeah. funny because yeah. right because somebody they steal a Yale Shakespeare yeah. or something happens. They to steal that. Can I forget all about that? Yeah, it happens in like page one. They steal the <laughs> the funny. Yale Shakespeare Aww. from Barnes and Noble and Encino. God, I'd forgotten all about that. <laughs> um, that's funny. So she gave me the Yale Shakespeare. And she gave me the collected works of Edgar Allan Poe, and. So she'd come over to the, the crappy little place where I was living, and the, I mean, the L. Shakespeare is impossible to read because it's 800 pounds, and it's five feet long, and 13 feet high, and so she'd be coming over and be like, oh God, I gotta, I gotta get this nearby, and so, you know, I'd put it by the bed. Oh yeah, I was... Well, I was get just, out the wheelbarrow. Yeah, and... I was just reading Julius Caesar again, yeah, so <laughs> I was reading some of, some of the poetry. And so I'd always keep it by the bed, and I'd keep the uh, the Edgar Allan Poe near it, too. So I'd always keep it around the house. The fact of the matter is, I have had that Yale Shakespeare ever since, and it has traveled to every house and apartment we've ever lived in. And for a while, uh, I used it to keep down this mat that I was um, exercising on, because it's really heavy. I don't know if I've ever actually read the Yale Shakespeare compendium, but I, I love you to have, have it. And it? every time I see it, it's impossible. It's 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 a, you can't read it. It's it's Who like edits a piece the of Yale Shakespeare. It's a piece of art. Yeah. So it's like uh-huh. like if you were to lay in bed with it, you'd you'd crush your sternum. Um, but every time I see it, I remember um, receiving it as a Christmas gift and thinking, "Oh my God, this woman so clearly saw greater things for me than I saw for myself <laughs> by buying me this book and knowing that." I probably wouldn't read it, but that I would like to have it nearby. But the Edgar Allan Poe, the collected works of Edgar Allan Poe, that book I have read to death subsequent to getting it from uh, that that same Christmas. Um, it's one of the, it, those two books when I see them in my in my house, and I see them every single day uh, because they're, they sit on this um, coffee table in the middle of our library. So I walk by them every day. Um, I just think, you know, even if I never read these books again. They are the sign of, of someone's love and hope for me, which I think is a cool thing. Oh, that's really nice. Oh, this is a complicated question for me for a reason that um, I may have talked about on the show, but if not, I think you guys will really enjoy this. So my whole family loves to read, and we have this problem, whereas uh, when we go on family vacations, reading is like a major activity, whether it's winter around the fire or on the beach or whatever. And the problem is that everyone steals each other's books. Um, so, <laughs> like, if I go home for Christmas and I give a book to someone or if I bring a book that I'm reading, if I, like, go to the bathroom or leave it around, that thing's going to be gone and someone else will take it forever. Um, so it's always this weird shuffle. Like, I'm looking at some of my books and I don't know if 
they were given to me or if I took them or what. Um, because that is how Christmases go. I always bring like 10 books and I like give them to people, but then they always end up with different people. So last year I got my brother the Walking Dead compendiums and then I read them. I took them back and read them. Um, <laughs> I think I may have given them back. <laughs> Um, but I think, uh... So, hold on one second. So, like, you'll go to the bathroom, like, you'll be like, oh, shit, I gotta go. And you'll run to the bathroom while oh, yeah. in the middle of reading a book, you'll come out, and the book will be gone? <laughs> gone. I'm not lying. <laughs> yeah. We, it's, it's eat or be eaten. Um, and there's always, like, one or two books that really emerge as the ones that everybody wants to read. Um, and I've actually gotten into the habit of bringing a decoy book, a book that I know everyone else will like, so I can just, like, keep the one that I want. This is real. And, I mean, this... I was actually going to make a suggestion for this year. Yeah, tell Why me. don't you just bring the girl next door? It'll be like throwing a bomb into the mix. And then, and, and just see what people do. Like, how they pick it up and start reading it, and then just watch your oh, family members it. get more and more disturbed. That is really funny. It'd be like throwing a, like a, a, you know, a booby trap in the middle of the... Uh... I mean, the year it was most pronounced um, was a summer where um, somebody, I think it was me, brought Helter Skelter and then like everybody one by one stole and read Helter Skelter and everyone just got really more depressed. So by the end of the summer, yeah. everyone was just talking about vicious slaughter, you know, which was a beach <laughs> vacation before that. Um, it's really fun. It's like a also book club where everybody reads bands. a book God, one vicious at a time. slaughter was good. They were so fucking good. But every year my dad, um, uh, I mean, people give me books you know, a lot, but they, they think they, that I've read everything like new or normal. So I often get given really weird books or books that, you know, I don't know. I don't know where people think of these books to give me, but every year my dad basically gives me a giant biography of somebody. Um, and he's always already read it, you know, as is the tradition and he just kind of hands it over. Um, and he just gave Does me. Does he wrap this... it? Is it wrapped? Uh, sometimes. I don't know. No. <laughs> it's like, here, I thought of you. Um, but he just gave me um, a giant biography of Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings and all of their children. So I've promised him that I will read that um, for before Christmas. So I'll be talking about TJ and his slave proclivities um, over Christmas. Yeah, once I got a huge Genghis oh. Khan biography, Queen Elizabeth, I've got them all. I've got a lot. Got a lot of bios from my dad. My, my mom one year got Wendy um, a bunch of subscriptions to magazines, but had them all sent to her house. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. Yeah. So she, she'd come over with, you know, Us Magazine or something three weeks later. Oh, here. Here's your Us Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's oh, awesome. My mom That's was really nuts. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm taking yeah, Wendy wasn't from... Wendy wasn't thrilled. Oh yeah. If you anyone has a good decoy book recommendation, it has to be an actually really good book. Like a, at least something that's you know, like I think Tiny Beautiful Things I used as a decoy book a couple years ago. Um, well, I think Neil Patrick Harris would be a good decoy book because everybody would be like, Oh, what's that? Yeah. and pick right. it up. You're right. They may You're not right. read it all the way through, but it's something everybody will recognize his name and like grab it off the shelf or grab it off the back of the toilet seat or wherever you left it. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the key, Julia, is leave the book you really want to read hidden somewhere in the bathroom. And then when you It'll go to like the bathroom... It'll be like the gun in Godfather, <laughs> you know, in a, in a bag, in the back of the toilet. <laughs> Filled with Gone Girl. <laughs> Take the Gone Girl, leave the cannoli. <laughs> All right. And on that note, let's move to Neil Patrick Harris. Choose your own autobiography. Welcome back to Literary Disco. We're going to dive into the life of Neil Patrick Harris, who has chosen to write an autobiography in the form of a choose-your-own-adventure book, which we thought was appropriate considering we had done a choose-your-own-adventure flashback episode. I guess it was this year, right? It was earlier this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and this summer, I think it was. So because of that, a bunch of people pointed out to us that Neil Patrick Harris's autobiography was in that form. And we thought it would be a nice, uh, we hadn't read an autobiography ever. Have we read an autobiography? We've read memoirs. Well, we've read memoirs. Yeah. Right. Which I'm curious what the difference is actually between those two things. But um, before we get into that, uh, Neil Patrick Harris is an actor. I don't know if he needs much introduction, um, considering he's been in the public eye since the age of 12 or 13. Uh, his big first break was on Doogie Howser, M.D., where he played a 16-year-old doctor genius. Um, and then he found himself in the doldrums of made-for-TV movies for a while mm -hmm. um, and sort of had a just maintaining his BC-list celebrity status until he did a small part in Harold and Kumar go to White Castle playing himself, which sort of reopened uh, the industry's eyes to his talents. Um he did a lot of theater in the meantime, actually. I should I should mention he's worked his ass off in theater. Um, but then it was really How I Met Your Mother on CBS that solidified him as a, a international star. Um, and then hosting the Tonys multiple times because he's an incredible singer and dancer and mus all-around musical guy. Um, and he's gone back on Broadway doing Hedwig and the Angry Inch is where this autobiography ends and pretty much is where, I guess, his the last thing I've heard about him doing. Um, well, and he's going to host the Oscars. Is he? That's something. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He's hosting the Oscars. Yeah, I think he's, he's going to have host everything. everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's generally emerged uh, as a, you know, friendly, innocuous, um, fun, happy gay that we can all love and admire. <laughs> Jesus. Well, right, well, no, true. but that's actually, obviously. It's a huge part of his well, public that, Yeah, I mean, he, like him Ellen. coming out. Yeah. It's not unrelated. Yeah, I think that's totally. And I think it's also kind of the 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 reason that this book exists, right? I mean, yeah. Because I I think it there there's something there's something that Neil Patrick Harris has done where he has made his sexuality a defining part of him, but it's also made it safe for people who might otherwise be homophobic to sort of like Neil Patrick Absolutely. Harris, which I think is a fascinating thing that I will I, talk about at length at some point later in the show when i talk about my disappointment in neil patrick harris's memoir <laughs> <laughs> that is a choose your own adventure um but i guess i guess you're right julia i mean he's incredibly talented we, we can all agree oh, that absolutely. he's an incredibly talented guy he can sing he can dance he can act he can be a comic he can be serious 
uh, we saw his penis in Gone Girl, I think. No, we saw Ben Affleck. Or at least a glancing blow of it. We didn't see his. But he was nude. I think I think there was some chatter about his penis. I didn't I see don't it. Know. In his book, he talks about being naked on stage for one of his productions. So I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if he has no problem being naked. But well, he, he is nude in Gone Girl, but I don't remember if, if I saw his penis or not because I was too busy looking at the plot holes. Mm. Oh, oh. <laughs> wow! Boom! <laughs> That's right. I got some things to say to Gillian Flynn. She's never going to sell a goddamn book. <laughs> Um, so yeah, well, I mean, since I did the intro, I get to pose mm-hmm. this one to you guys. What do you think? What, what's, well, actually, maybe we should talk a little bit about the structure. It is a yeah, choose your own adventure book, but it's kind of a catch-all book for whatever he wants to put in there. Um, it's written in second person, the way the choose your own adventure books. So you're Neil Patrick Harris. You can flip around, um, and there are some funny choose your own adventure references, deaths, out of nowhere, you die in an avalanche at one point. You die in a sinking a sand pit, right. um, and the, the you know it has a lot of that. It has the feeling of the choose your own adventure books, where it's like, and then your body's never found the end. Um, so I thought that it was looks like a choose your own adventure book. Right. It's the same font right. and everything. But then he also throws um, in magic tricks. Uh, right. Like he t- walks you through card tricks that you can do at home. He has drink recipes, and then he has um, letters to him which means you in this case from famous people that he's worked with sprinkled in throughout. Um, and a pretty good recipe for bolognese. I should know. I tried it. Mm-hmm. it. It's a pretty good, it's a pretty good recipe for bolognese. Did you really make it? I did. It was good. Wow. <laughs> I'm always looking for a good bolognese. <laughs> you actually made the recipe? Really? Yeah, but I used, uh, I used turkey instead because I'm not eating red meat anymore. <laughs> but yes. Holy shit. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. <laughs> I've wanted to know. Look good. All right. Well, hey, you know what? You just like, I mean, that's, that makes me feel better about some of these gimmicky things. Well. <laughs> that, that, that people might actually follow through I mean, it, the, the entire, the entire book is a, is a gimmick. Um, go ahead, Julia. I'm sorry. Okay. I interrupted you. Well, um, as, as I think everyone can already tell from the, uh, tone we're already on, um, you guys read this book first and really did a great job of lowering my expectations um, <laughs> of, you know, of its substance and, you know, at, you know, how much was in there and how gimmicky it was. So coming in with really, really low expectations, I have to say, I don't think, I think this could have been a lot worse. Um, I think that the choose your own adventure structure actually allowed for some self-indulgent stuff that in a linear memoir would have just been like so exhausting and annoying like those celebrity letters but getting them in a choose your own adventure format is like oh haha fun you look at it for two seconds and then you go back to wherever you are um and i also thought that in terms of memoir and this could actually be done better um but i thought it was an interesting idea i i really really followed the choose your own adventure choices and it led me through the mm-hmm. book in a non-linear way that was really fun and interesting. I mean, like, I was at the – I got to the end almost immediately and then was working through different parts of his story. So I thought that was actually – it seems like such a self-indulgent format, but I actually thought that it lent an air of levity and knowledge that he's not, like, the greatest writer of all time and doesn't have, like, a ton of life-changing advice to dole out or anything and i i thought it was appropriate structure Mm -hmm. for the level of 
um, storytelling that he felt like doing. You know what I mean? I think a lot of people yeah. really yeah. like this book. I think well, I think a lot of people already do like the book, and you know, it's a funny book. You know, it's uh, if you read it. 10 minutes at a time, it's an enjoyable, witty, funny experience. Um, I, I read it like I read, I read all the Choose Your Own Adventures as a kid, which is, um, I took all the, I made all the worst choices first, mm-hmm. you know, get into a fight with Scott Kahn. Yeah, I want to, I want to fight Scott Kahn. <laughs> I want to do that. Um, I actually do want to do that. If you're listening, Scott, come at me, bro. Um, <laughs> but, What's up with the West Side? <laughs> that was, I mean, that's one of the most ludicrous, <laughs> but amazing stories that's in the book. Um but what I kept thinking is, you know, he has an opportunity. Um, and, I, you know, this is a, it's a joke book. It's a funny book. It's a Christmas gift. You know, it, it's something that you can read in the bathroom. Fine. It is, it is what it actually is. But as I was reading, I kept thinking, here's a guy who has actually been through some weird, crazy, awful shit, who has a lesson to impart, who has a memoir he could write that he could play straight and it would still be funny and it wouldn't have to rest on these gimmicks to get the attention of people. People would want to read him writing about his life. And, and so while I enjoyed the sort of choose your own adventure parts of it, um, and you know, it was fun to go back into that world. I just kept feeling like he had sold himself short. Like he's not a joke. Why Mm -hmm. make yourself a joke? Okay. But hold on. He's not a joke, but, but he, He's had a really damn good life, and 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 he has. I, I you know I don't know if he could write a really deep soul searching. Like I mean, his biggest struggle obviously is you know, the public outing of his sexuality. But I have to say, by the time mm-hmm. that sort of happened or that became an issue it was already 2006 2007 like i don't know and the right. you know the, the it, it it reads in this like okay it was like two agonizing nights of how to compose an email and damn it i had to fire my publicist something we should all do like, by the way that's it <laughs> right but, but you know what it, but it was like oh so that's as bad as it got you turned to the love of your life and he helped you and you had a group of friends and you came out and everybody was like, yeah, cool. And then your career kept going great. So it's like, I'm not, I don't know. I, I, I feel like maybe this was the best format because it is kind of, he's kind of lived a breezy, happy life. And when you live a happy life, I don't Does it make for a good memoir or an autobiography? Well, I mean, or, I think it, um, he has had a breezy, happy life, but he also talks about all those years where he was hiding behind who he was. I mean, it was it was a pretty open well maybe it's not an open secret for the entire world but if you know if you are in Hollywood as writer obviously is or on the fringes as I have lived um, everyone knew that Neil Patrick Harris was gay it wasn't it wasn't any surprise for people in working in Hollywood that he was gay um, but it doesn't mean that it wasn't surprising to the people in Paducah. Um, and so, you know, I, I just kept thinking when he's going through these weird things and he's having these experiences as a, as a teenager where he's finding his sexuality and he's in his 20s and all these things are happening and he's keeping it basically hidden. Yeah, the end result is that he was accepted for it, but 
it doesn't mean that it was a happy experience, you know? Well, no, I mean, um, I'm not, yeah, I mean... It's but, not just happy or unhappy. It's not like you have a negative experience and yeah, that it's just makes an experience. a memoir worthwhile. I mean, or an autobiography, sorry. And no, I, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be upsetting. But it, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying that I was disappointed necessarily. I'm just thinking that maybe there is a time later on in his life when he will go back and tell the entire story of his life in his own voice. I don't know, Todd. Like his mom was totally supportive. He immediately. Yeah. At the age of 11 or 12, every young gay person's dream found himself in the gayest community of all. <laughs> you know, right. you're surrounded by actors and theater people and Hollywood, which is the gay friendliest place in the universe. On earth. And so, like, he was always loved. He was always respected. Nobody cared. Nobody questioned. And so it's a little like... Oh, it was just the rest of the world was full of idiots. And, you know, right. and like, that's why he has to insert the like one time that he was kicked at a football game in Indianapolis. But that immediately, you know, he was kicked by a woman and, and called a faggot. And his immediate right. response is, well, I'm Neil Patrick Harris. Get her kicked out of here. And he does. Right. So it's like, <laughs> I, I'm just not sure. I mean, and, and even on his own admission, being gay was never that tormenting for him. It seems no. like he, he he says early on, like, I actually was kind of asexual. Like, I didn't even think about it. Like, it wasn't this, you know. And I mean, I don't know. I guess I wonder how much of it is him making light of it because he's wanting to keep this um, memoir light or how much of it actually was kind of light for him and not that big of a deal in in a good way, in a way that says right. wonderful things about our world and our culture right. and the industry that I work in. Like, it makes me very proud of all of those things. And I, I don't mean to diminish, you know, his struggle as a gay man at all. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, yeah it's still part and parcel of the story of success that you're telling, for, you know. Mm -hmm. So I'm just not sure. No, that's if, true. That's I don't true. know. I'm just... I don't know. I, I think maybe we're just supposed to laugh at the cheesy jokes and, and learn a little bit about it and, <laughs> and, you know, I don't know. But I don't want to... Yeah, I, I, I totally agree, Ryder. I, I don't think that... I think it's a good place where being gay isn't enough to, you know, get you a memoir. You know right, what I mean? Right. That it's, that it's just a part of his life, just like, you know, Amy Sedaris writing her letter at the end is a part of his life. You right, know what I mean? Right. Um, and that's really interesting. And it's so representative of where he is in all, our culture, right. you know, right now. It's like, he's gay, but he has so many other things going on that I don't think that people even necessarily think of that first or even in the top, like, three things when they think about him anymore, yeah. which is really, it's which is really awesome. great. Yeah. Yeah. And part of that is exactly what's going on in this book, which is just this like frantic, excited commitment to so many different kinds of projects and friendships and relationships and right. whatever. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I'm a Neil Patrick Harris fan. And that was not, and not like rabidly so, but I, you know, like, I think he's a great host on those award shows. On those award shows, I sound like a hundred-year-old woman. Uh, <laughs> oh, how about that sixty-nine? I'll tell you what. <laughs> um, and I've never really watched How I Met Your Mother or Doogie Hauser, but you know when he pops up, like he seems like pretty cool, down to earth, cool with himself. Uh, well, you know what? You know what's interesting about him and what this book actually shows. And I know a lot of our listeners are are younger than we are. Um, I know we have a lot of teenage listeners. 
is that it's sort of hard to imagine that there was a time when we all didn't when when people didn't know everyone's personal lives like that you didn't know tom cruise was a scientologist right or you didn't know that ellen degeneres was gay or you didn't know that neil patrick harris was gay and so like when ellen degeneres kissed a woman on ellen or on her sitcom oh yeah that was i mean it, it was like fucking Ferguson, basically. People protesting in the streets. You know, people lost their minds. Yeah, I mean, it was and NBC, I think, it was a network, and it was a big deal. They were terrified. They were terrified. They were terrified. And, of course, now on every show on, on network television, there's, you know, there's a gay character or women are kissing or men are kissing, and, and it's great. People watch it, and it's perfect, and we're fine, and, and no one cares anymore. But it wasn't always like that. And it wasn't even really like that when Neil Patrick Harris basically got outed by Perez Hilton in 2007. Right. Um, but here's what's interesting so, about Neil Patrick Harris. I think what he represents the potential for, and this is still yet to be seen, because this is something that in Hollywood circles has been debated, debated ad nauseum. Like, I found myself in this conversation a bunch because, you know, there are there are plenty of actors that everyone knows are gay male actors who everyone knows are gay who are still closeted publicly but within town mm. everyone knows they're gay and so it's come up and i've been in discussions not with these gay men themselves but with their friends or people around them where it's like why can't they say they're gay like what is it and the response is well that they will never be taken seriously as a leading man that they'll mm-hmm. never be able to kiss a woman on screen and have anybody believe it and I, that's interesting, right? Like, that's a debate because, oh, Brokeback Mountain, two straight guys can play gay characters, and we believe it, because that's actually noble acting that we want to give awards to, but the reverse has yet to really be proven. Neil Patrick Harris represents one of the first guys to start doing that. Who can do it, yeah. Yeah, and he's true. done it because he was playing a womanizing character when he came out. So he was like in the perfect position to be the crossover dude. That being said, him showing up in Gone Girl is kind of tongue-in-cheek casting because there's a little bit of like, well, this guy's never going to get her. Like, you know, he's supposed to be the stalky, stalkery, creepy ex-lover who just feels off in some way. And I think casting Neil Patrick Harris was was part of that. I think there was a sense of like, Oh well, but, you know she's never going to be attracted to this guy. This is not right. There's something, and and it wasn't explicitly ever about his sexuality. It wasn't built into the character. But there's a public awareness of it's Neil Patrick Harris, and mm. I think that there's a lo- little bit of manipulation on Fincher's part to make the audience root for Neil Patrick Harris to not be the savior coming in, the male savior coming, you know, the sort of hetero guy coming, but something a little more questionable, morally, a little more off-putting. And I think that that immediately comes when you're like, oh, but he's gay and he's playing a straight guy. And so I'm I'm curious to see if, if over the next couple films, if he's going to be able to overcome that or if other gay actors, outwardly gay actors, like people from Glee or I don't even know who comes off the top of my head that could be a leading man in this traditional I'm in a hetero relationship on camera and you're going to believe it way um like I'm still curious if that I mean that is obviously the next evolution culturally right but we're not quite there yet and I think Neil Patrick Harris represents this strange bridge between that Um, and it was like there was that period of time where they were Rupert Everett remember where they they were trying you know he they thought, whoever they are, they thought that he could be both a leading man and outwardly gay 
and people would accept it. And I don't think it ever really happened for him. No. Um, no. I don't like. I don't even know where he's been all these years. Um, but yeah. I mean, what a weird. It's a it's a troubling aspect of our culture, you know. Where we we can believe someone as a murderer, but we can't believe them as a straight person, or we can't believe them as a gay person. I mean, it's right. Uh, right. It makes me nuts. Yeah. Well, no, we can believe them yeah. as a gay person. That's the thing. That's right. the but double we, standard. But we can't believe them as but a straight. We, person. Yes, that's the double standard of heteronormativity in cinema and television. It's weird, mm-hmm. you know. Mm. Well, just to go tangential for a second, because. I saw Gone Girl too. I mean, he was weirdly cast in that whole thing anyway because he. It should not be. I one of my weird pet peeves is when I know a character is supposed to be like a surprise or something, and it's played by a super famous person. Right. You know. So the the second so I saw Gone Girl with um, my husband who had, had not read the book, and the <clears> second that Neil Patrick Harris like walks across in the background, Greg's like, "Who's that? What's he gonna be? What's he gonna do?" And I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> like terrible casting. That person should be a nobody." Um, but yeah, so he, that was that was I really wondered why he was in that movie for a lot of reasons, but. You know, but he's good. He's a good actor, right? He's, he's always he's good. good. Yeah. He's great. Yeah, he's really good. Really good. So back to the book itself, though, versus uh, Neil Patrick Harris's personal life yeah. <laughs> and the way Hollywood uh, fucks with the human race. Um, you know, I, what comes off as the the biggest thing for me, what what I got from the book, is that he just seems like a guy you'd want to hang out with. That he seems funny totally. and interesting and smart and charming. And also that he is not actually those things all the time that he has bad days and he's angry and sad sometimes and that weird shit has happened to him it's a really for as dehumanizing as the form is it's a really humanizing experience to read yourself as neil patrick harris Mm -hmm. not that not that you really believe you are him while you're reading it but there's there is a real likability to him that you find in this book and 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 maybe that's what my negative response is that I think, you know, he could just be writing David Sedaris like essays and it would it would probably be interesting and entertaining because he's got a strange view of the world, you know? Yeah. Wait a minute. You're saying Neil Patrick Harris has a strange view of the world? Yeah, like he's just he, he has an interesting point of view. Like he sees things and it's amusing. He's smart and eloquent. I actually I heard I, him... no, I think he's yeah, no, I agree with smart and eloquent and somebody that I would love to hang out with like you know there's I can totally see being friends with Neil Patrick Harris but I guess what I'm thinking about this is a book which is kind of what we're supposed to be doing here right <laughs> like the the there's this <laughs> there's a narrative there's a narrative of ascension here right right like there's it's a Horatio Alger story like that's real it's like every autobiography it's like I've achieved all my dreams and and here's how it happened and like to me it's like okay so the, if the narrative of ascension begins with this cute little kid who had strange proclivities towards musicals and and magic right he's like this misfit well it he you know that is i guess the same story of everybody who ends up in hollywood but the fact that he got there so early like the fact that he was basically embraced by the island of misfit toys by the age of 12 without any problems and he always has friends and like even later on in the book when it's like 
you know, oh, my period of non-working, he was making crap loads of money doing movies of the week, which I think probably made him the great actor he was, because I don't think he was incredible on Doogie Howser. I think it was all the work he did in, you know, 12 different movies of the week mm -hmm. when he couldn't get work in any other form that made him, you know, and then, of course, the theater stuff that he was doing, it made him an, an incredibly hardworking, committed, talented actor. Um, but, like... He always has, like, every one of the stories of, like, how he gets an audition. It's always like, and then my friend Megan was casting, and she called me up. And then my friend, who was the creator of this CBS show, called me up. And it's like, okay, so you, you've always been in this great community of people that love you and support you, and you've always been helped out, and, like, I, I just don't know if there's much of a story here. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's great. Yeah. It's good for him. It's a great life. But I don't know that there's much of a story here, and and the only thing that get that there there were two sections that made me uncomfortable, um, genuinely uncomfortable, and made me kind of go, eh, what, what? And that the first one is going the, the Elton John stuff, mm -hmm. like why we have to include, you know, a four a chapter four page description of how awesome it is to spend Elton John's money and fly around and traipsing around the world, like. I just didn't quite understand why you include that in your book, in your in your your autobiography. And then the other one is the horrible ending that he gives, where he's slicing meat at a counter and has a blue collar job. Yeah, and that that was uncomfortable. Yeah. That one too. really, it, those two bugged me because it was like, what what are you saying about your readers, or what are you saying about your like, do you, it just seemed to hint at a disdain for your average American life. And, uh, and I, it's hard because on one hand, I, I get it. There's a lot of joy in being like, oh, my God, I'm hanging out on a beach in Greece with Elton John and his boyfriend. And we're best friends. And he's buying me $7,000 coats. Like, there, I understand that there's a part of you that's like, whoa, that's so cool. But do you have to write about it in your book? Like, mm -hmm. because... Why are you writing about it in your book? Like I don't. I, I mean, I guess to make you feel like stars, they're just like us. Like it's, but you're not. Like you know, when you adopted your kids, you had your choice of surrogates. Money is never an issue. You have a nanny that twenty four seven. That you, like everything's pretty fucking great in NPH land. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and like I know that the argument is that it's hard work and he deserves it and he's talented. I get that, but. But if it's all just hard work and talent and you made it, like, I don't I don't know if I need to read about it. And then I especially don't know if I need to read about, you know, that you're going to insult Dustin Diamond, who was sort of your alter ego who didn't achieve success. Yeah. Right. And position your, your, your worst nightmares being the meat cutter at Schlotsky's Deli for the rest of your life and how fucking awful that would be and how happy you are that you have all this money and all these awards. I mean, there's a lot of reiteration about how happy he is to have all the money and the awards. How happy he is about the money and the awards. And it's like, all right, we get it. And we also get that you're very happy to have your children and he spends a lot of time on that too. I don't know. But you guys know where yeah. I'm getting at? It's just kind That's of like really a love like... fest, a self-love fest and a love fest for all the awesomeness. And it's like, uh, okay. I, I think... I think a lot of things about what you just said. I mean, first of all, I think the only way that he can get away with it and so many other people would not be able to is he does truly seem grateful right. um, or at least pretty down to earth. But the thing is, and this is coming from someone who has had no interactions with 
this world, you know, like it's so clear that living in it your entire life does skew so much of, you know, your perspective. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I can see how that would that would happen. Like the bad days in Neil Patrick Harris's life are very different than a real deli meat slicer's bad days. You know what I mean? So in that, like for him, a deli meat slicer's life is just as much of a caricature as being a movie star is to, you know, the kid working in the grocery store. You know what I mean? So eh, I I totally agree with you. And I think it it does need to be said, but at the same time, he's, that's just the world he's living in. And people want to read about that world. And he obviously doesn't have that self-awareness to seem like, you know, maybe I shouldn't put this in. I guess that's the point then. It's just a super Hollywood book. Like if this just felt like super insidery Hollywood. That's what the reader wants. I mean, if you're going to choose your own adventure with Neil Patrick Harris, you're not going to choose your own adventure of of Neil Patrick Harris shopping for underwear. You know, you want, you, you want to be in his skin when he's hanging out with Elton John. You want to be at the award show. You want to do these things. I mean, we're putting a lot of weight on what I said earlier, which is that it's a joke book, but by the same token, it is a glimpse into the culture that creates the essence of celebrity. Like we we watch E or people watch E because they want to see the Kardashians because they want to go buy the Kardashians clothes and pretend that they're Kim Kardashian or whatever. They want to live that lifestyle. So here you get to be Neil Patrick Harris and it's a wink, wink and a nudge, nudge that your life could be horrible. You could be slicing meat. Well, the person who's reading this book most likely is slicing meat right you know that that is the the most likely thing but it also says you know if you want it hard enough maybe it'll come your way you know which is not probably true (laughs) well i think what it's promising what the promise is that is appealing is like even very nice dudes could can make it all the way to the top here you know what i mean it's not Mm -hmm. that you can it's not that julia pastel can because he's way nicer than I am, I think. But, you know, like that, that he's just some ordinary guy getting to hang out with uh, Elton John. So cool. You know what I mean? Or Whoopi Goldberg or whoever. And so I think that's what it is. It's like that people see Neil Patrick Harris and they're like, oh, he's a, a down-to-earth dude just like me. And look at him on How I Met Your Mother. He's so cute. You know? Right. That's what I think is really being sold here in this um, narrative and sold is a harsh word, but I mean that's what's happening. And and he does seem sincerely happy. And I and and for the record, I believe he wrote this book himself. No, he didn't. Uh, <laughs> he did he not. Didn't? No, he had a co-author. Oh boy. Yeah, it's it's right Who on the front it? page. Uh, his name is. I didn't read that. David Jabberbaum. Hmm. David Jabberbaum. I wonder if he's a meat slicer. I think he's just a writer. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard because I don't know. I mean, I I think I'm clearly not the audience for for these kinds of books. Right? <laughs> no. So yeah, I mean, the, I, I you know the is it Us Weekly that does the stars? They're just like us. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. that like yeah. I've never been able to wrap my head around that kind of tabloid like. Look, they're shopping. That's they're so normal. But then also the idolation of they are superhuman, talented beings from another planet. Like the fact that, that like every issue of Us magazine fluctuates at, between those two things equally is just crazy to me. And 
I don't think either is quite accurate, you know? Um, Mm. And I guess I was sort of hoping that Neil Patrick Harris would find a way to sort of make that more, make it, make, make that connection easier like here's how my life has sucked and been totally normal and here's how my life has yeah but see then this is this is the thing is that if if he comes out and says oh woe is me i've even with all this money and everything my life sucks that would be worse um then people would be like you know what stop your fucking complaining you know (laughs) so he's sort of damned if he does and damned if he doesn't at this point you know but has there ever been a celebrity memoir that was different than that just kids by patty yeah smith. just kids by patty smith i've never read it great book. It, it, it was it won the national book award didn't it or was it just up to the national book award i think it did for nonfiction. Win. i'm not sure yeah it was up for a couple years ago um you know what I, I i forgot to do something and i i'll do it right now while we're talking about the the greatness or the shallowness of fame and writing it and, which is that we have a fan named evan who listens to the show he's 12 years old and um I keep meaning to say hello to him. So Evan, if you're listening to the show right now, we are aware of your existence. We think you're super cool and you don't ever need to be a celebrity to get validation for yourself in the world, but it doesn't hurt in terms of getting girls (laughs) or boys, whatever you're into, whatever you're into, Evan, whatever you are into is fine with us. So Juliet, could you say hi to Evan? Hi, Evan. Thanks for listening. Ryder, can you say hi to Evan? Hey, Evan. All right. Yeah. How did you get in touch with Evan? Did Evan, he... uh, Evan's mom sent us an email letting us know what a, what a big fan Evan was of the show and that he lis- listens to every episode and that he's a big That's reader. awesome. And so I keep forgetting to say hello to him because I like 12-year-olds who read books. And Evan, you don't, you don't actually categorically need to pick up Neil Patrick Harris's Choose Your Own Adventure, nor The Girl Next Door, incidentally, if you haven't listened to that episode yet. I would really like to know from Evan what a couple of books that he really likes are. I'm very curious about that. So if Evan or your mom could let us know, that would be really cool. And also, Evan, for the record, you have a really cool mom for letting you listen to this show and also writing to us. Great job, Mom. Yes, your mom seems very cool. Yeah. Much cooler than my mom was. Can we talk about my mom for a little no bit? No more about your mom. I'll give you mom. all 30 bucks. No more about your mom. No. <laughs> Good. I don't want to talk about her either. <laughs> well, that was uh, that was Neil Patrick Harris's Choose Your Own Adventure biography, autobiography. What is it when someone else writes it for you? Is it a biography? Biography. biography. What, what is it when it's co-written? Co-written. <laughs> <laughs> It's hidden on the first page where nobody notices it. Even two people reviewing it. Right there on page one. It's a, yeah, it's unshredded and pasted back together by David Javerbaum. Yeah. We, so we guess, should point out real quick some of the weird little things here. I guess we're stopping too soon. Let me just point out some of the weird things. In addition to the recipes in the book, there's also, as Ryder noted, letters from other famous people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's pictures of Neil Patrick Harris throughout his life. Um, there's a bit where Neil Patrick Harris's husband uh, goes through and edits a section and puts in his thoughts on um, Neil Patrick Harris's life, uh, which is weird. Um, <laughs> there is the aforementioned fight with Scott Kahn, where Scott Kahn comes off as just the asshole you think he probably is. Um, what else? There's a bunch of uh, 
fake TV movies that he didn't star in, <laughs> but which sound a lot like the movies he did star in. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I think one thing that I think is really adorably written here are um, the choose your own adventure choices. They're they're mm-hmm. really fun. So like, here's one: if you're ready to appear in a creative Creatively and commercially successful piece of entertainment, turn to page 46. If you're ready to appear in a better class of kids movie, turn to page 233. If you're ready for a vacation, age 20 years, and turn to page 121. Warning, you will take mm. it with your male partner because by then you will be gay. And then <laughs> on another page, uh, it says, freaky, right? Anyway, turn to page 280. What? Sometimes in life you don't get a choice. You know, those they're all really cute. I and then there's it. also, just like the Choose Your Own Adventures, there's a page that you can't get to in any way, so you had to have lied to get there. Um, hmm. Just like in that one where uh, you can't ever get off the spaceship. Um, oh, there's also a page where you can get um, Neil Patrick Harris to sign your book on page 175. It says, congratulations. If you are seeing these words while hearing them read out loud, you are attending a promotional event and reading along as I speak them. <laughs> Which is actually pretty charming. Um, if you are reading this book as an ebook, please feel free to present the screen with the below line on it to the author, so you can shine it with a sh- sign it with a sharpie. Um, which is why it's entertaining for you know ten or fifteen minutes at a time. How do you guys feel about his description of his work week? Where is that? Uh, he goes through yeah, right working yeah. on How I Met Your Mother, Met your mother. Like, and then I do yoga, and then the day's over, yeah. and we do some yoga yeah. and hang out. Yeah, it uh, made me feel like I should have been an actor on a successful yeah. network television show. Uh, I'll tell you the part I really hated. If I if we can go back to the uh, the things that I disliked, I, those letters from people made me want to kill myself. Yeah, well, you know what I would have loved is if you're going to do that, put some letters from your high school classmates. Put some letters from your mom. Put some letters from, I don't know, but like just famous people to hawk your book like that. Yeah. You know, my overall feeling is that here's my overall feeling after finishing this book. I've only I think I may have met Neil Patrick Harris like once, you know, shaking hands. But I I just feel like he's on a really like uber Hollywood trajectory Mm -hmm. um, where they sort of aw shucks. How could this happen to me? I'm just a kid from New Mexico is like becoming more and more a distant memory as his life becomes yeah. You know, as it is for mm. a lot of rich people who have incredible success, it becomes unfathomable to the rest of us. <laughs> right. And I think, you know, for him, that means being very Hollywood and mm-hmm. it's a lot of famous friends and they're all successful and they all love working together and they all love patting each other on the back. And, you know, it's just, it's just a slightly, slightly off putting for me, Yeah, I have to say. Well, it's not like the literary world where everyone pretends to be friends and then we tweet about each other saying nasty, nasty things to one another. <laughs> well, that's a good point. Is there a single industry where people can just, I don't know. It's like reading no. about, you know, court uh, and not, not justice court, like kings and queens court. You know, like princes and princesses all talking to each other in some place that we will never be. That's how it feels to me too. But I guess I feel right. slightly more comfortable with that than you, Ryder, because I've it, to me it's a total distant. It's just as distant as like Game of Thrones. 
I'm never going to go hang no. out with Sansa either. <laughs> <laughs> like, even you just throwing off, like, I guess I've only met him once. There are millions of people in America who would feel like, you know, their heart was stopping with joy if they saw him, right. you know, in a parking lot. You know, so it's yeah, very and well, different. and you know, and there's a surpri- there's a surprising amount of similarities between like my early life experience and Neil Patrick Harris. It's like, mm-hmm. it, like the first part of this autobiography felt like exactly my deal. Like, oh my god, right. I sent a tape off to Hollywood, and now they want me to audition for a movie. Oh my god, I got the movie, or you know, whatever. Those steps and that feeling of like, what the fuck is happening, and where am I, and then learning to love it and learning to you know fall i mean and then i got into magic like there's a lot of weird similarities and then of course you know he was like then i got into magic i totally did as a kid like it was the same sort of i think there's something to that and then i I was in les mis when i was 10 i was one of the gavroches that he wishes he could have been you know like so there's a lot and then i came but by the time i was a teen actor he was going through his like soul searching 20s doing drugs in the desert phase i guess right um and but i i think that for me you know like when i read about how he i think he just loves hollywood a lot more than i do you know like yeah. he he's the way he describes like Oh, and then I went and saw a Broadway show and went backstage to try and meet the cast. Like, he loves that shit. He loves that. And for me, it's like, I love, I love making stuff. I love, but I'm not entranced by famous people. Like, I don't care. I I mean, I am, I I like, I appreciate somebody's talent, but I think it's so separable from their personality and their lifestyle. So that to me is like one of those fallacies that, um, Hollywood operates on and is fueled by, you know, people, uh, you know, by smarm, like smarmy connections and smarmy false friendships and, you know, using money and class to sort of to buy yourself taste and to have opinions and, you know, to make what what most of us make in Hollywood is really, really mediocre art, you know, and we're all trying to do something great, but, you know, most of the time we're making shit and we're trying to make something great. Um, and I don't know, for me, that's a much more sort of noble struggle of a bunch of unknown actors and crew members and creators and stuff like that than this book allowed me to sort of see. What this book mm. allowed me to see was like, how nice Oprah Winfrey is and how nice this person, you know, it's just more and more famous people that he was trucking out to say how great they were. And it was like, uh, I don't know. Like, I think if I were to write a memoir, which I don't think I ever will, but if I were, it would probably be about like the random people that weren't supposed to be the super Hollywood helpers that gave me that hand up. It would be, you know, the chances I got because of this random person who just... I don't know. I don't know. There's just something smarmy about it. But hey, that's why I'm directing and not acting anymore. But but isn't so. that also just sort of the difference between admiring talent and feeling like you have to be next to that yeah. talent? Yeah. yeah. Like, I, but, I can but, read a great book without thinking, not only do I love this book, but I have to now know this person intimately. I have to know every yeah. part yeah. of them. Yeah. Um, that That's that line, I think. But there's a, um, you know, there's a... I, I mean, I made a joke about star fuckery earlier, but there's something to, you know, the star fucking thing that is actually essential Absolutely. to our industry. And like, that's, you mm. have to be willing to kiss 
a famous person's ass, play their ego, have your ego played. Like that's part of the game that just makes me sick. And especially for acting, that's mostly what it is. It's a confidence game and it's about who you know. And it, you know, it's every business has that element of who you know, but in Hollywood, it's just, it, for me, it's just the always been tainted and a little sleazier and that's why i've always had one foot out the door you know um to my detriment as a performer you know to my detriment as in my career but i think i'm a happier person because of it mm -hmm. or at least i feel better about the friendships i have in my life because they're not based on on those things yeah i mean um, movies it's such a strange art because there's so many people involved with making it i mean just thinking about it blows my mind mm -hmm. yeah it's too yeah. too collaborative is how i would feel like it cannot undo itself from that kind of thing if anyone you write about could be a potential future collaborator or a probable future collaborator if you're as famous as yeah. patrick harris and that i mean that doesn't just go for other actors but directors producers and writers you know of which there's multiple on every single project oh my god like that's such a minefield of networking that it's it makes sense to play it safe and just be nice and kiss everyone's ass you know what i mean yeah. and i i totally yeah. admire and agree with you writer but like it's so much better to go the way that he's going than Yep. You know, to get really snotty about it in print, which is why the Dustin Diamond thing was so shocking. It seems so random. Yeah. Um, right. But yeah. I mean, I mean, it's fine that he talks shit about Scott Kahn because Scott Kahn comes off as such a dick. But you know, Dustin Diamond, he, he doesn't deserve it. You know, he's just a guy doing his thing. Nah. I think the takeaway here, Evan. <laughs> <laughs> It's just do what makes you happy. Be cool to people. Just be nice. Just be nice. So <laughs> this is our last episode before the holidays. So um, happy Hanukkah, everybody. Merry Christmas. And uh, what other holidays are there around this time? Uh, solstice at Ryder's house. Yeah. yeah. Winter solstice. Winter solstice. So happy Kwanzaa, all that stuff. And that's it for this episode of Literary Disco. Join us in two weeks when we discuss the best of the year. Literary Disco is produced, edited, and saved each week by Tucker Ives. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and thanks for listening.